are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. A good Thursday show for you. We're going to talk about the in-season tournament, the NBA Cup, whatever they're calling it. Um, the matchups are now set. I probably jinxed it last night when I was recording when the last game wasn't over yet. Sorry, Golden State Warrior fans. We're going to talk a little bit about LeBron. He's got some incredible statistics out there. We're going to talk about quarterbacks being drafted in round two of the NFL and what absolutely nothing they've given since 20, 2009, almost 14 years of second-round quarterbacks in the NFL. Look at this list. Yikes. And I got a couple other thoughts on the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry. It might get to some other things as well. Get to that momentarily. Okay, your in-season matchup is set for the NBA Cup. And yesterday when I was recording, it was down to the Sacramento Kings and Gold State Warriors. The game was in Sacramento. There was, what, two minutes left, and I said the Warriors were up 119-114. If the Warriors win that game, they will be playing in New Orleans in one of the quarterfinal matchups. Well, I jinxed it. Sacramento came back to win 124-123. Malik Monk hit a shot, and then with very little time left on the clock, Steph Curry missed a three at the buzzer. The Warriors do not advance to the NBA Cup. So your matchups are set. There's two games on Monday. There's two games on Tuesday. And then the winners advance to Vegas on Thursday for the semis. So an Eastern Conference game and a Western Conference game each day, Monday and Tuesday. They are this. Boston is at Indiana. New Orleans is at Sacramento on Monday. The Knicks are at Milwaukee and the Suns are at the Lakers on Tuesday. The four winners advance to Las Vegas, and they play on Thursday, and then the championship game is Saturday night in Vegas as well. So those are your four teams. The Lakers, Bucks, and Pacers were the ones that went undefeated. They went 4-0 in their groups. But these are one-game series. Anybody could win these games. Just because Indiana, Sacramento, Milwaukee, and L.A., are the ones hosting it. It doesn't mean anything. It's a one-game series. And whoever wins moves on. And you can't even say, you know, who's playing well, who's got the better record. I mean, when you look at this overall, let's take a look at this overall, the records of all these teams that are in the uh, in-season tournament. I I think all of them are over 500, I believe. Let me look real quick. So the Celtics are 14-4. and Uh, the Bucks are thirteen and five. The Knicks are ten and seven, and the and the Pacers are nine and seven. Those are your four teams coming out of the East. Right now, those four teams are all in the top six of the Eastern Conference playoff race. Right now, Celtics are one, Bucks are three, Knicks are five, Pacers are six. In the Western Conference, you've got I got to look at the matchups again. I already forgot. It is New Orleans at Sacramento, Phoenix at L.A. New Orleans is ten and nine. L.A is 11 and 8. Phoenix is 11 and 7 and the Kings are 10 and 6. So the four representatives in the Western Conference in this NBA Cup are the 5, 6, 7 and 8 seeds currently in the Western Conference. The top 4 seeds in the Western Conference right now are the Timberwolves, Nuggets, Mavericks and Thunder and none of them are going to the NBA Cup. Not that their records are so much worse. I mean, if you look at the schedule or the standings right now in the NBA, Timberwolves lead the way. They're 13-4 and four this year. But look at records of the teams 2 through 7. Two games separate them. 
Nuggets are 13 and 6. Then you got Mavericks and Thunder at 11 and 6. Kings at 10 and 6. Suns at 11 and 7. Lakers at 11 and 8. I mean, it's just they're all bunched up. So it's not like, oh my gosh, the Western Conference leaders just choked in this tournament. No, they didn't. They're all basically even. And again, I don't think this really means anything. I'm sure the team that gets to the championship game on Saturday night is going next week is going to want to win. Sure. But I, I don't know. We, we just have to see. You know, they don't get anything other than money. They don't get any sort of bump in your playoff seating. You know, we talked about it yesterday. What should the prize be for winning this tournament in season? If you want to say guarantees you a playoff spot, I don't know if we should go that far. But how about this? I was thinking about this last night. What if it's just whatever seed you are, you get bumped up one spot? How about that? Because the team that wins it is probably going to be a playoff team unless injuries you know, derail them the rest of the season. They're probably going to be a playoff team already, so guaranteeing them a playoff spot really wouldn't do much. But what if you say the winner of the in-season tournament gets a bump up in seed? What if they finish as the five seed? If they finish as a five seed, they wouldn't have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, but now they would. Or you just make it as you don't you don't change your seed, you automatically get home court advantage. And if you happen to be a top four seed at the end of the season, well, it doesn't change anything. You got home court advantage anyway. I think you just need to put some sort of incentive on this game other than money. I don't know what it is, but that's the best thing I could come up with. If you have any solutions or suggestions, I'd be all ears. I'd be curious to see what people think that they should put on the winning team of the NBA Cup. It has drawn a little bit of interest. You know, people have seen it. You know, they've they've done those courts. Every time there's one of these games that are playing that are counting towards the NBA Cup, they're on a different court, even though the Dallas Mavericks court came in and as defective. So every time the Mavericks have played on their home court in an in-season tournament game like they did on Tuesday night against the Rockets, they're just playing on their regular court because their court was defective. Maybe that's why Mark Cuban is selling the team to the owners or former owners of the Venetian because he wants uh, a new arena and a casino-like. He wants an arena inside of a casino resort area. Well, gambling isn't even legal in Texas, so I, I don't know. He seems to know. I, I have a feeling that the only reason Mark Cuban is selling the Mavericks or selling a his majority stake in the Mavericks, is because he must know something is coming down the pike with gambling in Texas. Because his whole point was, I want to build a new arena. I want someone else to build a new arena and make it very resortish and casino style. Well, it's not even allowed in the state of Texas right now. And your lease for your current arena, the American Airlines Center, isn't up till 20 to 2031. So what is he talking about? He must know something. And the fact that the Adelsons, who Sheldon Adelson is the guy who owned the Venetian and the Palazzo before he died. The Adelsons are very big GOP donors. Uh, They've donated a million dollars to Greg Abbott here in Texas. Maybe they know something. Maybe they're greasing the pockets of the people in charge to get gambling legalized here in Texas way sooner than people seem to think it's going to happen. So I don't know. Mark Cuban isn't just selling the team because he feels like it. There's got to be a reason behind it. Maybe that's it. I'm not sure. There is a lot of things you can say about LeBron James 
and you can debate, is he the GOAT? Is Michael Jordan the GOAT? Like, I don't care about those arguments. They don't matter to me because there's no way to prove either way. It's very, it's just subjective. If you grew up in Chicago, you probably are going to say Michael Jordan. If you grew up in the Cleveland area, you're going to say LeBron. Like, I don't really care what people's opinions are of who's the greatest. They're both great. It doesn't have to be one is greater than the other. I will always stand by this. I think Michael is the better player and LeBron had the better career. At the end of the day, that's what it's that's how I'm going to look at it. LeBron, I, Michael was the better player. But LeBron's resume outside of Michael going 6 for 6 in NBA Finals, every other thing for the most part LeBron beats him at. And I think one of the huge ones is longevity. There's only been 7 guys in the history of the NBA that have played 21 years in the league. This is LeBron's 21st year in the league. I'm going to read you the other six that played 21 years in the NBA, okay? Vince Carter, Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Willis, Robert Parrish, Moses Malone. Here's what they averaged points per game in year 21. Vince Carter, 7.4 points. Dirk, 7.3. Kevin Garnett, 3.2. Kevin Willis, 2.4. Robert Parrish, 3.7. Moses Malone, 2.9. LeBron James, in his 21st year, happening right now, is averaging 25.1 points a game. Not only is he in his 21st year, he's also the league leader in the history of the NBA in minutes played. He just passed Kareem like last week or two weeks ago. The guy has 66,000 miles in minutes on those legs. And the guy is averaging 25.1 points a game in year 21. Nobody in the history of basketball who played 21 years in the NBA, only six other guys averaged more than seven, 7.4 to be exact. That's incredible. And if you think, well, he's probably just launching up a bunch of shots. He's actually having one of his most efficient years in his 21 years in the league. And, oh, yeah, let's throw this on. Those six other guys who played 21 years in the NBA – Here's how many minutes they averaged in year 21. Because clearly if you play 21 21 years in the league, you're not playing half the game, a 48-minute game every night, are you? And the numbers bear it out. No, you're not. Vince Carter averaged 17.5 minutes a game in his 21st year. Dirk, 15.5. Kevin Garnett, 14.5. Kevin Willis, 8.6. Robert Parrish, 9.4. Moses Malone, 8.8. What's LeBron averaging a game? 33 and a half minutes a game. 21 years in, the most minutes ever played by anybody in the NBA, and the guy's averaging 33 and a half minutes a game and averaging 25 points a game in year 21. Like I said, MJ's the better player. LeBron's had the better career. I came across this stat when going over some NFL notes. So they have a list of all the quarterbacks drafted in the second round from 2009 to 2021. So I, they haven't taken the last two years' drafts into account, probably because we can't get a read on anybody just yet. But from 2009 to 2021, there were five, five, 11. 11 quarterbacks drafted in the second round. Here, are, here they are. So this is like, you know, I, and I don't know where in the second round. They didn't put the number of where they were drafted. But a second-round pick, a night-two pick in the NFL draft since they went to the Thursday, Friday, Saturday format where first-round picks are on Thursdays, second and third round on Friday night, 
and then fourth through seventh round on Saturday. To give, to be a second round pick is a big deal in the NFL. You're expected to do things as a second round pick. Okay, here's every quarterback drafted in the NFL between 2009 and 2021. Kyle Trask, he has 23 career passing yards as we speak. Drew Locke has been a bust. Deshaun Kaiser, been a bust. Christian Hackenberg, been a bust. Derek Carr, decent career, but he's never even won a playoff game. Puts up a lot of good stats, never won a playoff game, never been on a, obviously, a Super Bowl team if he's never won a playoff game. Geno Smith was great last year, the only year he's ever been good in the NFL, and he's kind of fallen off this year, and the Seahawks are basically in a downward spiral. And if they lose tonight to the Cowboys, that'll be three losses in a row, and they'll be 6-6, six and six, and they're back to being average. Brock Osweiler, bust. Andy Dalton, good career, put up good numbers, solid backup, started a long time for the Bengals, got them to the playoffs a lot, and kept losing in the first round. I don't believe Andy Dalton has ever won a playoff game. Jimmy Clausen, bust. Pat White, bust. The only one drafted between 2009 and 2021 in the second round who's turned out to be anything in the league, worth a damn, Jalen Hurts. Pretty amazing to look back on that. Now, I haven't seen 2022 and 2023 second round picks, but I'd say that that is a pretty interesting class of guys that have absolutely sucked in the league drafted in the second round. 11 quarterbacks and one has panned out, which is why you don't want to say it's witchcraft, the NFL draft, but we've talked about this in terms of quarterbacks because quarterbacks are the ones that get all the attention come draft day. You can sit there and you can analyze your offensive lineman and your defensive lineman. That's for the nerds. Everybody cares about which quarterback's going to my team going to draft? Are they going to be the savior for our team? You know, you got teams like the Cleveland Browns who have had what 24 starting quarterbacks since they last won a playoff game or something ridiculous. You know, you know, those teams that can just never get it right with their quarterback, the bears, the jets, the Browns, you know, you got the green Bay Packers who've literally had three quarterbacks in the last 30 years, but the bears have a new quarterback seemingly every other year. And you just teams just can't get it right. Well, why can't they get it right? Some of these guys looked really good in college, and they were almost can't-miss prospects. I remember coming out of high school when Christian Hackenberg signed with Penn State. They said he is a no-doubt first-round NFL draft pick, got the arm of an NFL quarterback, can make every throw on the field. The guy absolutely sucked in the NFL. I just don't think that there's any rhyme or reason where anyone can predict who's going to be good in the NFL and who's not. You can think. I mean, you've got analysts on the NFL. You got your Mel Kuypers, you got your Todd McShays, you've got your Mark Mayox, all those guys that literally just spend hours upon hours upon hours just going over tape and looking at every single throw that these guys made in college and then make some sort of declaration of he's going to be a really good player in the NFL. Love this kid. Love his upside. Love his arm. Love his moxie. All this stuff. And then they end up being a bust. And then they'll say something about a kid where I just don't know if he has it. And then it turns into, wow, look what he turned into. Jalen Hurts is a perfect example. Nobody thought he was going to do a damn in the NFL because he wasn't much of a thrower in college. He ran a particular offense that was short passes, and he used his legs a lot. He still uses his legs a lot in the NFL, but he has improved. The guy's gotten better. That's why I like him so much. The guy took all the criticism of he's never going to be anything in the league, and look at what he's done. He's probably going to win the MVP this year and was second in MVP voting last year. 
And after his first year of starting, when they lost to the Bucks in the first round of the playoffs two years ago, everyone said he doesn't have it. He's never going to be a guy that leads a team deep into the playoffs. And now look at him. So they're right. They can be, and sometimes they're right. And it's like, okay, you know, some people were saying Peyton Manning was going to be better than Ryan Leaf. Some were saying Ryan Leaf was going to be better than Peyton Manning. You know, that's what I'm saying. But even in the most skilled position on the field, the one position where you got to get it right if you want to win a Super Bowl or be consistently in the playoffs, you got to have that quarterback who has the it factor. Some teams just can never find it, and some teams have all you know, the luck or the skill. I just think there's a lot of luck involved and some skill, but a lot of luck. One team we've talked about a lot or one program we talked about a lot in terms of college football and producing quarterbacks was Ohio State. I've told you this numerous times. The last six quarterbacks before C.J. Stroud that came to the NFL from Ohio State absolutely did nothing. And you were just like, how is this happening year after year after year? They had Urban Meyer as their head coach. They had Ryan Day as their head coach. Two great offensive minds. And the last six quarterbacks Ohio State produced to the NFL flopped big time. Big time. And we're talking about quarterbacks that were putting up ridiculous numbers in college. We're just like, oh, my gosh, these guys are just ripping through the Big Ten. They're averaging, you know, they're throwing 35 to 40 touchdowns a year and less than five interceptions and 4,000 yards. And you're just like, how are they going to be so shitty in the pros? And that's exactly what they did which is why C.J. Stroud had this stigma attached to him, was like, okay, great. He put up great numbers at Ohio State. Great arm, but we've seen it from six previous Ohio State quarterbacks that got there and did nothing. Why is C.J. Stroud better? I can't tell you. I didn't break down his college tape, but he is different. He's proven that in the first 11 games of his college career. But in just talking about that rivalry, when I saw it this weekend, obviously – both game day and big noon Saturday were at Michigan for the Michigan-Ohio State game, and you hear all the stories about how much these schools hate each other. And something that I've always found fascinating is, like, if you've been to Michigan, if you went to Michigan, you're an alumnus or an Ohio State alumnus, you know that, like, I don't know if it's, like, the whole season, but it's definitely Ohio State-Michigan week where you're not even allowed to say the name of the other school. Like, Michigan will not say the name Ohio State. They'll call him, like, the other team or something like that. And same with Ohio State. The other thing I learned this past weekend, and I think I had heard this before, but I would totally forgotten about it, is on Ohio State's campus, anything in written letter that has the word M in it on campus is crossed out. The M is crossed out everywhere on campus. Look, <laughs> I understand you guys are rivals. I understand you don't like each other. And I understand, Ohio State fans, you're absolutely kicking yourselves because you've lost to them three years in a row. I get it. You're upset. You're bothered. Whatever. But crossing out the letter M everywhere on campus is about the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And whatever Michigan does that's equivalent to that, that's stupid as well. So I'm not just calling out Ohio State. I don't know if M a Michigan campus crosses out all their O's. I don't know. Maybe they do. I just think that is so stupid. You know Why? Because assuming you do this every year doesn't mean you're going to win. What's the point? You can't say anything with it. You can't look at anything with an M in it. What do you do? You not walk under ladders too? step on cracks on the sidewalk. Get afraid of black cats running around like are you really that superstitious over something as stupid as we have to X out all the M's on campus. And whatever Michigan does, that's the equivalent. You're stupid, too. 
because that does absolutely nothing. It has nothing to do with the game at all. It's dumb. Stop it. You look stupid. Just wanted to get that out there. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review. Tomorrow we're going to come with your NFL plays for the weekend, and I'll give you some thoughts on any of the college games. I think there's one that I like that I probably would bet, but um, I'll give you my thoughts on all the conference championship games and then maybe have one play, and then in uh, pro I'll give you your pro plays for the weekend. So thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review if you can. Tell your friends about it as well. So, again, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. And I will remind you that sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.